Welcome back to the Bonus Features Podcast. I, once again, am your host, Ed. Uh, I'm joined, once again, by my trusty and faithful sidekick, Matt. See, he almost said Pastor Matt. I almost said Pastor Matt, yeah. But then he remembered really quick, wait, Ed said Ed, not Pastor Ed, so we're going with first names only. Yeah, I was filtering, you're the lead pastor, I take my lead from you. That's right, that's like, right. like, what did Ed do? That's so, right, yeah. yeah. Now, we're just a couple of guys, just a couple of regular guys sitting in an office talking into strange-looking microphones about the Bible. No yeah. need to use titles here. <laughs> um, be yourself. Yeah, we're going to just be ourselves. So... Um, this is the uh what is this the fourth week of our podcast yeah, this man. is a month yeah, and well so I, I don't know if anybody's ever made it this far in the part podcasting world have they no i don't think yeah. so i mean it's so relatively new yeah that we're as we're pioneering to new territory so yesterday matt you preached on the portion of james where he talks about uh faith and works and the idea of living out your faith which is kind of the central idea in the letter yeah could you walk us through, maybe in a shortened form, mm-hmm. uh, walk us through the process of you writing a message? Uh, it often looks very different um, depending on the passage. I mean, there's sometimes you sit down with a passage and you're like, you look at it and you're like, what, what in the world's here? I, I, I have no idea what I could talk about. A passage like this, you sit down and read and you go, wow, there seems to be a lot going on. And the more you dig into it, the just you keep uncovering these layers. And so... So it sounds like what you're saying is you begin by reading it. Yeah, that, okay. that's usually a good place to start. Um, anytime you sit down and you already have an idea of what you want to preach on before you open your Bible, it's usually not, not oh, a good sign. Interesting, yeah. interesting. <laughs> so I know it's different for you. So... <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I use a scripture journal, <laughs> yeah. so my yeah. own words already written next to I, it. You know, every Monday when I'm going to preach the next Sunday, your first words to me are, let me tell you what I think. <laughs> so. Um, so are we talking like a children's Bible here, <laughs> a teen study yeah. Bible? Yeah. You, usually usually I, uh, I I do it that uh, that Monday evening uh, with Eden as I'm putting her to bed. And uh, see, I get more out of the pictures than the words, actually. <laughs> There's a lot to see. Out. Yeah. You know, to think about what the authors intended with those pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean normally it's you know you wrestle with the text and, and one of the things that uh i was told in, in one of my classes in seminary was um i think a lot of people think you know one of the first things you should do is sit down you know read a commentary or two uh but actually uh one of my i remember one of my pr- professors saying that by the time you get to the commentaries you should have done so much work in the the text itself by yourself that you're actually you're having a conversation with the writer of the commentary rather than getting information from them. And so um, that's... that's kind of, this is figurative, not literal. Yeah, okay. yeah. Flying to their house. And, That'd be insanity. Know, knocking on their door. Um, so that being said, what did you choose not to talk about yeah. in the message? Uh, there's a lot. Uh, I, I think one of the big ones that obviously I started the message with and even said on Sunday that you know we'll talk about here was just the whole theological discussion that surrounds this passage. Um, but then because of that, the larger book of James as a whole, and actually James is probably one of the more controversial books that's been included in the Bible. Um, it, was, it was always one that was you know debated, is this really inspired by 
the Holy Spirit. And, and a big reason for that is, is the apparent contradiction he has with Paul. And uh, we talked about it really quickly on uh, Sunday where uh, in uh, verse 24 in this passage, you know, James says, you know, um, you're, not just, you're not justified by, you're justified by your works, not faith alone. And it's interesting, like even in that, where it sounds so simple, as you kind of really start to parse that sentence, just even in the way it is in the English, he says, you're justified by your works, not faith alone. He's saying not, he doesn't say not faith. He just says not faith alone, which is what the Christian, his audience was trying to say is, hey, we have faith and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter if it shows itself. I don't, I don't need to have fruits in my life. Any, any of those sorts of things that are, are talked about elsewhere in scripture, I just know I believe. And if I say I believe, that's enough. And so the, the theological discussion and seemingly like what people want to say James maybe shouldn't be in, in Scripture is uh, where in Romans uh, chapter 3, uh, Paul says, uh, you're justified by faith, um, say by grace through faith. And so, um, so, yeah, so they seem to like completely contradict one another. And... Um, the the widespread agreement in, in the things that I read, this is probably some of the most of, this is a sermon that I've probably read the most for in quite a while, uh, just because of just how much there was to it. And um, most, it seems like most agreement is, is that James and Paul don't contradict one another. Uh, in fact, they are, they prop one another up and, and they're showing, uh, James and Paul are speaking to in these, uh, particular circumstances in two totally different um, uh, situations where uh, Paul is talking to people about what it looks like uh, to have saving faith, initial salvation, um, how it is that you do have salvation, that he's speaking against um, Pharisaism that he came out of, that you can uh, do certain things and be justified by those things, that you can earn your salvation. In Galatians, he says something very similar to what he says in Romans, and he was speaking to a group there that was trying to, you know, get people to kind of lean back into um, doing the things in the Old Testament to earn their salvation. Um, where James is talking to a group of Christians that are trying to work out uh, several years down the road, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus years after you've come to faith? And James says, look, if you really have this thing, this thing that you say you haven't believed in, there's going to be proof of that. It's going to work itself out in your life. And it, and it's primarily going to do that through what he says it works. Um, a better understanding that would be ways of showing Christian love uh, to hmm. others. So. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is that one, one thing that I thought about, you know, talking about quite a bit is there is a place where um, in Ephesians where seemingly people will go to as well to say, well, look, James and Paul don't agree, and yet um, there's two verses that we know, and there's a third verse that people usually don't include, and it's in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. And like everybody knows that and they say that, you know, by grace through faith, not of your own doing. But then in verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so this this is a path. It's kind of one of those like good examples of how we know like part of a passage, but not all of it. And we like to key on certain things, and mm -hmm. and Paul like holds together exactly what James is saying and what he's saying in Romans, and he says, "Look, you aren't saved by works; you're saved through faith. God has done that, 
but as your faith is lived out, you've been made to show love. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to see that. And that's one of the reasons why when we uh, address a passage on, um, is your lip bleeding? It is. It was weird. Let me see here. Stick your bottom lip out like a, because I noticed it, you know, the red. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden Uh, um, I get passionate. (laughs) Chewing on his lip, bleeding blood. Um, the um, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why when we try to decide the pace at which we work through the Bible on a Sunday morning, we typically will go with a passage rather than a few verses yeah. at a time, and it's because it is so easy to stop in a, in kind of a in the middle of something a thought and and a thought because yeah. a passage is really a unified thought yeah. and um we even talked about that i mean i was telling you i think it was like friday um you're texting me asking me how it was going i was saying you know, it was great graciously i was yeah saying yeah yeah right you you were being very gracious and so saying hey if we need to split this up um we can do that it's you know we have space to where we can you know do another week so that way we can give this stuff uh the weight it does and foreshadowing and, yeah <laughs> and then uh um guess what we <laughs> uh, there, there's a week in there that we don't know what we're going to do um uh but they uh but and i thought about that my first thought was yeah that'd be great because there is so much here but then i just looked at it, i was like this is really this is one thought and to split this up it would mm-hmm. be you would be doing it a, James a disservice because mm-hmm. he is trying to make one point here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you made the comment before, uh, sort of a faith with no fruit, and I'm wondering if a good name for this sermon would have been like a scurvy-filled faith, <laughs> fruitless. <laughs> yeah. You know, because kind of you know you know you know you're kind of you know no fruit. You know what's that going to do to you? That's not that bad. Well, you've never heard of scurvy, right? <laughs> I feel like that would have worked really well in a like Pirates of the Caribbean context, uh-huh, you know. So uh-huh. yeah, maybe not so much of the Pacific Northwest in 2020, but yeah. maybe more of a VBS theme. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> tell Sue about it. Um, I uh, I think that um, the also just um, something that you had mentioned before was you know there is this there's this debate that you sort of encounter about you know should this be in the Bible is this biblical and just to be to be kind of clear on that. Um, the uh, the debate is surrounding the theological content of James rather mm-hmm. than like, you know, the other things that that make something biblical. Uh, you know, a book that is included in the canon of the Bible um, is generally has to meet certain requirements. Yeah. And there's a variety of them. And James meets all of the other requirements in terms of, you know, how was it received by the original audience? Can we prove the authorship and things like that? But one of the things that we look for in the text of the Bible is you know, is the theology of this thing uh, consistent, consistent with yeah. these other things that are yeah. authoritative? Well, yeah. So you see the things that like were read back in the same time period, written in the same time period, stuff like the Gospel of Thomas. And the reason it's not included is it's not theologically consistent. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, yeah, and there, that's a whole nother discussion of how this stuff got in there and everything like that. But, um, but you also see that I think the reason some of these things do come up and people ask these questions are because we have, as people, we have preferences, we have things that speak to us. And um, so a lot of times, a lot of people that are really big on Paul and his writings, so they see something that seems to contradict and not sound Paulish, I guess we could say, um, 
they're like, yeah, I don't really like that. And Martin Luther, the reformer, was actually one of them. He hated the book of James and actually talked about it pretty disparagingly. And I think we can all agree that Martin Luther, though, I mean, the thing with him was he was just a grumpy old man. I mean, I don't know if you're allowed to say that about him. but yeah, He's pretty intense. He was. <laughs> uh, kind yeah. of no, um, I've, I've actually, I've, I can say I've written extensively on Martin Luther. My mm-hmm. senior thesis is on Martin Luther. Well, there you go. And yeah. um, apart from... You and Eric um, Metaxas. So. Apart from um, being probably bipolar, yeah. Um, yeah. he uh, he you know is a great example of um, somebody who had this huge impact on the faith, but also had some real struggles. And so yeah. you know you can't just take like every well, word he says about yeah. well, just taking into account too a lot of the things he said, like even that are taken very seriously that he did later in his life when he had a lot of health struggles. And it's like, you can AKA see AKA drank too much beer. Yeah. <laughs> and you can just see there's a, whew, man. Yeah. Some of the things he wrote is like, yeah, I don't think that that's okay. Even back then uh, yeah. to say that. So, um, yeah. I, so the, um, and one of the, um, the, the great, the thing I love about James is that what it gives you and why I think it's so awesome that it's in the Bible is that, I think there should be things in scripture that sort of push the boundaries and make us say, should this be here? But when you look closely Mm -hmm. at it, you say yes, because what it does is it gives the dimension of real life, like a real genuine faith um, is a faith that will um, that will not be something that you can sum up so simply, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. that's one of the things people often mistaken. I mean, you, you, you know, people talk about like simplicity and things like that, but you know, some will say, you know, you look at a drop of water under a microscope and you see that even the simplest thing breaks down to such a degree of complexity. And I think that you see that with the gospel. I mm-hmm. think that James shows us the distinction between being saved by works or being saved for good mm, works, being yeah. saved so that we can live this way. And I think one of the things that you said on Sunday that was so helpful, your example of James um, showing us what it would look like uh, to sort of give advice to a family that's healthy versus a family that is uh, dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to say to one family, just love each other. And then a family that's got all kinds of bad habits and wreckage and problems they're dealing with, you're going to say, all right, we got to be a lot more specific with you guys. Do these things, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and it's going to seem legalistic and yeah. controlling, but it's because you're addressing certain things, which is yeah. what. Well, even James too, uh, I think one of the uh, things I really appreciate about James is he goes so far into the practical, and he's so concerned about how this is, how all of this stuff gets lived out in our life. And he's like, you know, what? I'm not really too concerned about like if I sound like too far in one direction theologically, because I am. I'm writing to specific people at a specific time for a specific reason, and um, I think there's I, I think there's something you know really refreshing about that of not always having to walk it back towards the middle, and saying you know mm-hmm. I, I know what I'm saying is grounded in you know right understanding and right thinking, and I'm just going to tell you what I need to tell you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of my Matt knows this you know this one of my pet peeves about. Um, preachers and pastors is guys that use disclaimers constantly. Yeah. Uh, people who are like, no, I'm not trying to say what I want to say. Because, um, uh, you know, first of all, I just think it's annoying. But yeah. uh, second of all, like when you're communicating something like as complex as, you know, faith and um, and what's in the Bible, um, you you just can't possibly 
You can't cover all the bases. You can't cover all the bases. Yeah. And so, you know, when you talk about something like this, it's one of the reasons why we're trying to do this thing with a podcast of saying, you know, it is um, it is a lot to try to address all this on a Sunday morning. Okay. But we also recognize that people do want to know, like, well, what is the theological debate and how do you reconcile it? Yep. And um, how do other people? So um, I think being able to say, like, yes, of course, mm-hmm. we're not saying dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, but yeah. um, so w- one of the things that came up that uh, so the the third point that we talked about was actually um, influenced by you a lot in, in the idea of relying on our reputation because you had brought up to me and I'd, I hadn't thought of it. And actually, in everything that I read, nobody mentioned this. So I think you've come up with like an original idea, um, which is like huge. It's uh, as Tom Owen would say in 2000 years of Christianity, if nobody's thought of it, it's probably heresy. So mm-hmm. I think you might That's be heretical. Right. That's right. So, um, but y- you pointed out that it was in a teen study by, <laughs> okay. I mean, that's where I found it. <laughs> that's not one of my primary <laughs> research. You know, sources. you know, you're missing the forest through the trees. I am. Yeah. So I, I probably, I probably could have cut a good like eight hours of study off if I just gone straight there. Um, it's called the teen study Bible. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, you're yeah. talking, so you're talking about the Rahab yeah. and the, yeah. So you, you pointed out Rahab and Abraham and the, and the differences between them and, and how there's, there's such a juxtaposition there mm-hmm. um, and, and just everything that that meant. So I love that word. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, Smart word. Watch a pastor try to use the word juxtaposition in front of his wife and get away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you have a lot of personal experience with that. <laughs> she will just like, you'll hear the eye roll from the other room. Like, oh boy. Um what James is addressing is some specific behavior in the early, early church, rather than addressing um, kind of teaching on a subject for everybody. Mm-hmm. And the church at the time was Jewish. Uh, they hadn't. They probably at this point had not started widespread like evangelizing to Gentiles. They probably still consider themselves Jewish. In yeah, ways, they yeah. they were Jewish, and the the early church was so Jewish, overwhelmingly that way. Um, in fact, he writes it to the he says the twelve tribes mm-hmm. dispersed, you know, the dispersion. Yeah. So, um, James is writing this to people who see themselves as being raised in the Jewish faith. So, the more you can understand about the Jewish faith and culture and tradition the better of a picture you're going to get of the early church. You're just absolutely going to get that. It's one of the first things they teach you in Bible school is they say, like, you know, you got to understand this Jewish faith thing. Um, And so they don't say it that way. Um, (laughs) The the hip, cool teacher does. Um, But the um, so in reading it, realizing, you know, Rahab, Rahab seemed like such a random Mm -hmm. thing to throw in there. Um, I am one of those people who, who doesn't have, I'm not great with names, dates, things like that. So, um, I, I get Abraham. I'm like, I heard Abraham. I'm like, yeah, I feel like he's a big deal. I think Abraham's a big deal. Not a lot of Rahab's out there these days. You know, not a lot of people are naming kids Rahab. Um, we thought uh, about it. You did? No. We'll cut that one out. (laughs) In the Old Testament, when the Israelites were entering into the promised land in the book of Joshua, uh, they, uh, Joshua, shortly after he takes over leadership from Moses, he sends some spies into the land. And every good story starts with spies. So he sends some spies into the land and they go into the promised land. They go into Jericho. And the idea is that they're going to kind of scope it out and, and then come back and give him an idea, the people an idea of what they're up against. Well, they stay with this woman named Rahab, who it says is a prostitute. And it says that the that these guys are there. 
And so he goes to Rahab's house and he tries to talk to her about them. He wants her to kind of turn them over to him. So basically it says that she tells the king, she lies to the king. She says like, I sent them away, they're gone. And that is the subject for a whole other podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we call that, When's it okay to say? Yeah, we call that the Anne Frank clause. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> and so she, she, she lies to the king and, and then she goes up to the roof where she hid them. And it says, before the men lay down, which is like her hiding them on the roof, um, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shiloh, to Shihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And then essentially what she does is she says to them, um, will you save my family when you guys invade? And so they do, and they, they figure out a system of signaling them when they come so that her family will be saved. Now, this story, if you read it by itself, you just think this is a very reasonable person. <laughs> this Self, is some, self-preservation. Yeah, this is yeah. purely self-preservation, which it is. Um, and, um, and yet, what is so interesting is that you have an example of this woman who says... Um, I, uh, I recognize like objectively speaking, you know, and so we wouldn't think of this as faith almost uh, mm. because it just seems so, like you said, self-preservation driven, level-headed, she, level-headed. It yeah. seems like she's simply saying, listen, we heard about what your God did. Mm. Um, and, uh, and we melt like before the idea of him. Um, and so I'd be a fool not to hide you. I want to be on your side. So would you protect my family when you come in and they say they will. So what James is saying is Rahab, who also is a prostitute, um, has this kind of genuine faith. Even the comparison of Abraham, Mm -hmm. the father of the faith, to Rahab, a prostitute. The power is in the contrast itself. He's simply saying to these these Jewish Christians, he's saying, um, you see Abraham as having faith because he has such a reputation of faith. Mm -hmm. And they believed a lot in reputation. And if you're related to him, if you're his lineage, then uh, you have faith by almost the name alone. Rahab, on the other hand, the prostitute, the only way you could ever know that she believed God was who he said he was, was her actions. Mm -hmm. And so what he's saying is a, a very interesting principle of how belief works, which is we have a tendency to not expect much proof from people who have a certain reputation. Mm -hmm. And then other people like the prostitute, we say, we want to see evidence. We say, everything about you and your life tells me, how do I know I can believe that you have faith? Show me your faith by doing something, right? Too is even thinking about this, it, I, I think James would say, actually the way that those early Christians were prone to look at Rahab, or Jewish Christians were prone to look at Rahab, is actually the way we should look at everybody, not the way that we tend to look at people like Abraham. Mm-hmm. And is that, you know, oh, because they would always go back to and say, well, Abraham believed in the promises of God. And James says, yeah, but the thing that really matters and really shows that that faith was real is all those years later when he was willing to sacrifice Isaac. And he says, so actually the way that we view people like Rahab is the way we should view everybody of 
is this faith that you say you have working itself out and how you love God? So Matt basically made three points in, in the message. And I think um, in this effort to focus on what seemed most applicable to our church in our context, which was here are the things that we tend to look for as evidence of real faith instead of what we should be looking for. And they were, uh, we talk, right? Yep. These are, we rely on... Just being able to say the right thing in the right moment that sounds religious. Yeah. We we look to the way we talk, the things we say as evidence of our faith. Yeah. Um, I think that the next one was our... Knowledge. Knowledge. Yeah. Just, you know, the more, the more I know, and especially um, stuff that I know that other people maybe don't know, then if I can blow them away with my knowledge about Scripture, uh, particularly Scripture, um, then that's an evidence of my faith. Mm-hmm. I, I saw this firsthand uh, working uh, at the seminary that I, I did uh, through high school, college, and then while I was in seminary uh, in maintenance. And I, w- I would um, go to the offices of these professors who knew these deep things that nobody else knew and and so if you if you just listen to me if you went to a class you'd say oh wow they they have such deep faith and yet be when i would be in their office like especially like moving their offices and stuff there was one particular professor that treated us terribly like he was rude and obnoxious and and all these things and and so you know here he had all this knowledge uh went to yale or princeton one of those ivy league schools all, all this stuff that you'd look at and say wow like this guy has like poured his life into this thing, and yet the way he was treating people that he saw as beneath himself as totally less than himself. The last one sort of point that you had made was that we look to reputation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that was the one that I think you got a lot of feedback from. Yeah. Yeah. I had. I. I think it seemed like the conversations of people coming up to me on Sunday afterwards, and and since then, um, it, it kind of feels like that's that was probably the one that people were like. Yeah, I have to reevaluate how much I kind of um, prove or, or or describe or see my faith in terms of what I've done, uh, what I do, uh, how I've served, uh, a position I've held, uh, that it is this kind of almost trophy that I'm able to put up on a shelf and just point people to and say, there's the evidence of my faith, um, rather than um, what I'm doing now, who I'm caring for and loving. Yeah, there's this sort of thing that happens a lot of time in churches where people will visit a church and they'll come and talk to you on a Sunday morning for the first time and introduce themselves and they will list off sort of a um, a resume yeah. of here's how I've served for years in this church or this church. And, yeah. um, and there are times when you get this sense that there's a pride in it, like... Um, so as you can see, I'm very mature. I have yeah. great faith. Not always, but yeah, yeah. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. I think that um, that's a lot of what you're sort of speaking to is this idea that I think the idea is that, you know, you're going to die, you're going to be standing at the gates, and God's going to say, you know what, you did this thing uh, faithfully, and so because of that, like, I know that your faith was real, yeah. uh, while so many other people were, yeah. you know... I, I think we could even say, you know, truthfully, the 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 folly the folly of the idea that if we were standing there he's like well you were a pastor for this long that we'd think that somehow you said it that was enough to get us in yeah well I, but I think that one well one pastor is the one the yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, a little yeah. bit it's very impressive yeah um, I think I think us knowing which one of these three we're prone to um, myself I I think for me it's the knowledge one 
Um, and so it's one of the reasons why I realized that there was... Weird, a, I don't see that. Yeah, well, the, the knowledge part, I just... I, do, you, do you know how to read? Um, yeah, and so actually um, I felt like I was relying too much on that and pointing to that and saying, you know, this shows something about myself and, and my, my ability and my ability to be a pastor. And so it's actually the reason why when I came here, um, I've never put my diplomas back up on my wall in my office because I I was really convicted about how much I was putting stock in the fact that I earned those degrees and not my ability to love people. So, yeah. That's why you always walk in here and say, do those degrees keep, do those degrees keep you warm? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I just can't wait for the day they fall off that uh, that high mantle you've got them on uh, and knock you in the head. So. It's hot in here. Hot in here, all these degrees. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think that sums it up for uh, this week's bonus features podcast. This was a little bit of a longer one, but we're not sorry because uh, it probably tells you when you start listening to it how long it is. Sorry, so, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> um, but I want to thank uh, Pastor Matt, who uh, did the hard work of trying to sift through a lot of valuable things to talk about uh, on Sunday morning. And, uh, and I think doing a great job yeah. of, of organizing it Thanks, to man. where we could understand. Yeah. And, um, and as always, I want to thank myself. Um, and, uh, there's the list is endless. Great job. Ed. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, and Caitlin. I want to thank Caitlin, um, our engineer who's, um, back there, in the, back there in the booth. Um, and she is, as always, she's turning the dials and yeah. she's flipping the switches. Yeah, yeah. And I do, and I also just want to very quickly, very briefly thank our sponsor for today's show, which is the uh, 2020 Gospel Sing uh, here at OCEC. Um, that's right. Pastor Dave spent quite a bit of money to yeah, get, how big ad, of a budget to get some have? ad space yeah. here in the podcast. So Gospel Sing is uh, is coming your way. I got to get that Dave LaRue money. May 31st, Speak of the Devil. <laughs> there he is. I beg your pardon. <laughs> that's great. Uh, we were just uh, saying that today's podcast is sponsored by Gospel Sing. Uh, <laughs> and I'm here to ask you to help me get some more chairs. Oh. All right. Well, oh, on that note. Somebody is feeling optimistic <laughs> about the We're going to go help Pastor Dave get some more chairs. Uh, until then, we'll see you next week. Oh, this is a train wreck of a podcast. Yep. Uh, shalom. Um, I still am a huge fan of my teen study Bible. Um, but the challenge is when I'm giving a message on something that's not addressed in one of those colorful insert pages, you know, like money, dating, family. I was gonna, I was gonna say, so that's, uh, that's why all of your sermon illustrations have to do with preteen dating. (laughs) Yeah. That's not weird. It hit me from out.